Welcome in. It's a midweek edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Happy to be with you. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz. It's Pitt Penn State week. We're going to take a quick look back at Buffalo, recap a little bit of that, some top performances. Had a few days to digest that. Sean uh, hit it pretty hard on the uh, rewatch, and, and we got some uh, VIP content up on Lions 24-7 breaking down uh, some of the Buffalo Penn State takeaways. But uh, Sean, bringing you in, and, and whether or not you consider this a rivalry week, it's always... Uh, an interesting week, to say the least, because these two teams have very different approaches. And uh, looking forward to actually seeing some football played on Saturday because there's a lot of hyperbole that goes into this one on an annual basis. There's so much effort uh, from both sides into not talking about this game. And that's uh, the one thing that always makes me laugh is, is, is it a rivalry? Is it something that should be played? And is that worth talking about, really? And, and you know, you can talk uh, for hours about arguments for both sides, I think. But it just, uh, I mean, this is the last game of a four-game series. That's where we're going to leave it on this podcast. We're not going to get too much into all the all the hyperbole, as you mentioned. And, I mean, we'll, we'll see where that stands in a couple of years, whether they're playing at Mansion Park in Altoona in a neutral site game or whether that's uh, something that comes back on the schedule regularly. We will see. But... First, we got to talk about Buffalo. Uh, we get we had the po- the post game podcast. Thanks again for joining us in the post game pod last uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. I guess it was by the time we got that up there. Um, it it's one of those things where you've got the the post game show is great because you've got the initial thoughts and things, and then you go back and like I did watch the entire tape and and run it back over and over again, and you come away with some different uh, different ideas and different things. But uh, it's so fun to to compare the two and see how wrong you were the first time. Well, yeah, and and thanks again to our listeners. We've gotten a lot of uh, reviews, which is great about these post game podcasts. Many of you have actually gone to our iTunes page and and left that to let us know that you like it. So we'll be back with another one. It'll be a lot more manageable for Sean and myself because it should be around I don't know five o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. Sounds a little bit better than one a.m. on a Sunday morning, but um, it, it's good to get those thoughts out when they're fresh and they may not always look ex- as crisp once you get a chance to review things. Uh, but again, we're watching this in real time from the press box. We've got binoculars, but those of you at home watching on TV, oftentimes you're going to get a, a better look at a lot of this than we do. But um, obviously, we pride ourselves on knowing the personnel pretty well, and, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, the structure we're going to kind of set up for this year, we'll see how long we stick to it, Sean. Uh, we'd like to come to you on Tuesdays and Thursdays with recordings during game week uh, to go with those post-game podcasts. There's less of a need to get one up on Monday or Sunday because of what we're able to get up there late on Saturdays. Um, so hopefully we can get in the flow of that. Tuesdays, we get James Franklin at the microphone. We get a few players available. We had Antonio Shelton, Nick Bauer. Sean Clifford, um, all uh, all available to the media today. So some takeaways from that, and and just want to let let you know that, that that's what we hope you can come to anticipate. But getting back to Buffalo, Sean, um, let's go through the offense, defense, special teams, MVPs. Uh, we'll let you start things off on offense. I went with Pat Fryermuth. I think he really changed the game for Penn State in a sense that not uh, not just the two touchdowns and of course the fourth and one run was was spectacular. But this is a guy that Penn State established in the second half as their early down guy, where they needed to get to the down and distance that they wanted to get to to make that offense effective. They started turning over, or the the, the offense started turning over. Did a really good job of uh, of breaking the big plays. And as we spoke about in the po- the post game pod the other night, it, this is a big play offense. This is not a, a sustained drive type thing and and you saw the difference in how much time of possession matters when you're when you're not scoring versus how much time of possession matters when you are scoring time of possession was nearly equal uh, on Saturday night in the first half and the second half you just didn't notice it much because Penn State was putting the ball in the end zone so 
Pat Fryermuth is is my guy there. Uh, he was fantastic, uh, big league player, I would say, all the way. Um, really, just when they needed something, that's the first person they looked at. And you'd like to see the, uh, you know, I guess the the spray chart go a little more. It was only four receivers that played, plus uh, Bowers and Fryermuth, the tight ends. Um, so you'd like to see a little bit. Uh, you know, and maybe not a different spread because Frymuth and Hamler, I think, are going to be your go-to guys anyway. But you want to see shorter involved. You want to see, but but in terms of my short answer for player of the game, I'm going to go with Frymuth. I think he changed the game on offense. Frymuth, the recipient of the John Mackey Award, uh, tight end of the week, not the award itself, but he certainly is putting himself in that conversation. James Franklin today, uh, calling him one of, if not the best tight ends in college football. And, and when you look at his track record. Uh, albeit over, what, 15 games now, he's put together a lot of evidence to, to prove that case. Uh, I'll stay with the offensive attack, or I'll stay with the uh, passing game attack, I should say, and go with Jahan Dotson. He mentioned the big plays. He was a part of, of a few of those. He drew a pass interference um, and, and four catches, 109 yards, a couple of touchdowns, each of them um, you know, one and two in his career. We've been waiting to see who else would break out alongside K.J. Hamler at the wide receiver position. Uh, I think collectively, still going to be learning a lot about this group. Uh, moving forward, but I think Jahan Dotson has certainly asserted himself, picked up where he left off last year, and then some. So, uh, you know, I also want to mention he did throw, the, uh, you know, help spring Pat Fryermuth for his his second touchdown of the game uh, with, with blocking downfield. And, and Jahan Dotson continues to be a guy that just, uh, you know, he's kind of a set it and forget it part of this offensive attack. I wasn't sure if that was going to be the case. You know, how, how much do you look into 13 catches over the course of the final stretch last year? Turns out, you know, that sample size has carried him through, and, and he's certainly a, an important piece of this offensive attack now. And by the way, the guy who got those guys the ball, Sean Clifford, wasn't necessarily the cleanest game, the smoothest game for him. Four touchdowns, though, three of them coming after halftime. We're told that during halftime, uh, he, he helped rally that group a little bit, keep their spirits up, got them motivated for the second half. You need that from any quarterback, no matter how inexperienced, how few starts they have. And additionally, for the second straight game, mentioned this on the postgame podcast, 330-plus total yards are great, but the zero turnovers really stand out to me as well. Agreed with you there. Uh, Dotson. Uh, you know, had Hamler-like numbers from the first week. He also drew a big pass interference penalty. Now, granted, Ricky Slade, I believe, fumbled the next play or two plays later. Um, so it was kind of all for naught, but got behind the defense, also had a shot at another touchdown there. So uh, Dotson played very, very well. It's just the kid's just a natural. Defensively, uh, I, you know, I look at the corners as the guys that really, you know, uh, just in viewing it again, and we said this the other night that they, they played really well, but in viewing it again, they did really well. John Reed made the play that changed the entire game uh, with the pick six in the third quarter. And when, when you're talking about turning a game on a dime, I mean, that's uh, that was that's, that's what he did. He was also uh, fairly supportive and run support, as was Tariq Castro-Fields. But Reed makes a uh, play like that and completely changes the game. Back-to-back games with an interception for John Reed. He's off to a tremendous start in a year that's not just big for him and the Penn State football defense, but big for him building a case to be a professional football player moving down the road. Uh, certainly looks healthy and looks the part. Uh, and, and Tariq Castro-Fields now leads this team in, in unassisted tackles. I think he, he's always shined as an open-field tackler. You saw that again. But uh, I'm going to go give the nod to someone who also forced a turnover, a key one at that. Uh, Cam Brown helped set up a, another Penn State touchdown, uh, forcing the fumble, collecting that forced fumble off the ground. 
uh, came away with, uh, I believe it was 10 tackles on the night. And, and among those three linebackers, and we really saw what four, five, six linebackers g- get some legitimate run uh, on Saturday night. He was the most consistent. I thought he was the most disruptive. He was far away the most consistent and disruptive. Uh, Brown was a guy that not only when he was making plays, as you mentioned, the fumble and fumble recovery, but when he blitzed, he he really took some guys, some offensive players out of the uh, out out of the system, out of their their uh, I guess lanes or anything like that, and and opened things up. If you watch that reverse um, in the second uh, second half where Jaquan Brisker comes in and blows it up. It's Cam Brown that actually gets in there, blows up that play, opens up a lane for Brisker. Brisker gets back. I mean, it was a perfect call by Brent, Brent Pry, um, basically against a bad call by Buffalo, um, and, it, and it ended that way for, for both sides. Um, but yeah, Cam Brown was was disruptive. He got to you know he, you know linebackers as a whole really not that good over after watching the second uh, the second take of the game. But uh, Cam Brown was was on his game. He was he was probably as complete as we've seen him. Now on special teams, uh, the the staff recognized Jonathan Sutherland as a co special teams player of the week during James Franklin's press conference. Uh, the other guy who shared it, I think we're both on board here, Jordan Stout. Um, a guy that just continues to to neutralize the the return game for the other team, and as I said, it's going to get more important and more important as you find teams that just uh, the athleticism that they're able to put out there on special teams. Right now, uh, you're not matching up against tremendous tremendous athleticism. Penn State should have the advantage in terms of the personnel they're putting out on special teams, uh, but I think once you get deeper into this season and the the tests increase. Uh, it's going to be a big bonus to, to not put the ball in the hands uh, of some electric returners out there and, and, and not give a chance for these athletes ahead of them uh, to create those lanes. So if you can just say, take the ball to 25, we'll send our defense out there, you'll take that every time with the way this team is set up. If the most exciting part of the kickoff is seeing whether or not he puts it through the uprights, I think that's a good, that's a very <laughs> good thing. So Stout was awesome. By the way, Idaho punter Cade Coffey, 47.5 yards per punt in his second game of the season. So I'm not crazy. So I just wanted to put that out there. I'm glad I'm glad you went back and circled back and you're still doing your homework on Idaho. That's dedication, Sean. Well, he fared better than the Buffalo punter, which is uh, unfortunate oh, to say that. But uh, uh, I guess it's out of the hospital today, so that, uh, yeah. that's that's great to see. And Franklin visited him. We talked about that in the, in the press conference a little bit. Blake Gillikin was there. Uh, Jordan Stout was there. That they he had, you know he was here for a few days, and and it was a pretty significant injury. Unfortunately, I did see a photo of the injury, and I, unfortunately, I think you may have supplied me that, with that. That's vision. the worst part. Frank Hyatt, our <laughs> photographer, got a great shot of it, and I can't bring myself to 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 show it or to to post it or anything like that because it is gruesome well good luck to that kid uh, recovering and 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 clearly um let's face it that was a bad moment for buffalo that was a bad moment for anyone on the football field watching you never want to see that happen but hats off to this bulls team and and i got to start with the quarterback because sean i spent a lot of the the pregame podcast last thursday saying now you know 10 career passes five career pass completions uh, unless this kid goes and shows to be the next Zach Thomas out of Appalachian State, you got nothing to worry about. You're going to get in his head. There was a stretch there in the second quarter, uh, late in that second quarter, especially third downs. I mean, this kid was kind of giving you those vibes of what we saw from from the young Appalachian State quarterback last year, who was completely unproven playing in a game at Penn State and Beaver Stadium that you figure he'd be way uh, out of, in the deep end on. You know, Matt Myers, James Franklin said it today. He, he thinks he's going to lead Buffalo to a lot of wins in the MAC in the years ahead. I agree with that, man. This uh, he had a lot of Zach Thomas moments uh, on Saturday night. By the way, Lance Leipold, what a phenomenal coach. I mean, they they came in with the the exact right uh, game plan, and I don't know. 
uh, if that's something that, uh, and that's something that Penn State can put on tape and and really learn a lot from. They came right at them. They neutralized that pass rush. They came uh, came at them with the running game, which is a running game. To be honest with you, wasn't as good as you remember it being. I mean, they're still 3.2 yards per carry. Um, they ran tough. They, they you know, they got uh, they kind of stayed on schedule from that aspect of it. But the running game didn't completely gash Penn State. It's those big plays, uh, the just those letdown plays, the third and 18 screen where they get 19 yards, or the uh, you know going down the field and and make a tremendous catch over top of Donovan Johnson, or, or you know, it's just Buffalo made some really really good plays, um, and Penn State had a couple of breakdowns that that really they can't have against better competition. But the Buffalo, I was so impressed by the Buffalo uh, coaching staff in terms of the spots they put their players in. And and we talked all summer long about this defensive line for Penn State. This defensive line didn't really have a chance. And and, and again, looking back at it, they weren't as bad as people think they were because this this is not an opportunity for them to get after the quarterback. They put Matt Myers in a situation where he knew where he was going pre-snap. And for the most part, that's, that's where they ended up. And really no chance to get to the quarterback. They kept guys in, running backs in. There was a, a an awesome pass blocking uh, uh, performance by Jarrett Patterson. He freaking just jacked up Jason away and, and knocked him back a couple of yards. Their tight ends were chipping. They were knocking the defensive ends off their track. And um, it was just a, a really, really well executed game plan by Buffalo. Can't say enough about, uh, you know, the job that they did to get ready for them and, and, and really put themselves in the spot where they weren't pressing the, the young quarterback to make plays. And, and really, you know, outside of, uh, that second half where they just got kind of the talent gap just kind of showed up. I mean, Buffalo did a good job of sticking with them. Yeah, that's a head coach and, and really a coaching staff you know, across the board that has power five futures uh, in that building did right you, now. Did you send Buffalo. his number to Rutgers by chance? <laughs> Rutgers, I'm sure, has it. If they don't, they need to find it. Um, and, and I think, you know, so getting away from Buffalo a little bit, again, they showed up. You know, Penn State in that first half, we talked about this being the first night game, a lot of young players and all that. But uh, it was just a team that there were inconsistencies, and it was it wasn't just the guys who have not seen the bright lights of Beaver Stadium or, or have not had to wait all day. Yeah, and you pointed out here a, a big game changer early that you just felt the air go out of Beaver Stadium with was KJ Hamler, a guy that you view as probably one of your most dependable weapons on either side of the football. Uh, you know, he he drops that he drops the ball. You got to punt the ball, um, and, and it's just the offense struggled to stay on the football field. The third down is an issue for them thus far. We know they rely on the big plays, uh, first down, second down. Uh, they they want to get it done early and quick, and have these two or three play drives. Whereas Buffalo was going thirteen plays plays 12 plays um but, but Penn State it just seemed to be you know Clifford would be on the field and then off the field and then we watched Buffalo for eight minutes and and that was the entire first half it felt like yeah just running it back if you if you took a look at the play disparity I think it was 40 44 to 18 in the first half or somewhere I've got it written down here and that's it doesn't sound right off the top of my head um but the the play disparity you know just Penn State was not able to to stay on the field Buffalo was they hit some of those big plays down the, the you know down the sideline or just that screen that screenplay was ridiculous um Penn State did a very poor job defending it but that uh, the execution on Buffalo's end was very good as well 
Um, but no, it's just the, it was the, the, the KJ's drop really changed everything for Penn State. I mean, you're talking about uh, moving the sticks, getting into Buffalo territory, getting your defense a little bit of rest, and all of a sudden you have to turn around and punt it. Now, it was a good punt. They got him down to the four, but then that whole 96 play, or excuse me, that 96 yard drive turned around and, and, and changed things for, uh, for the Buffalo offense. But uh, yeah, that's uh, one play. You don't want to pin it on one play, but a pitch and catch for KJ Hamler, he's got to catch that and, you know, not even get upfield, but just get out of bounds and, and you got a fresh set of downs and, you know, just kind of threw a wrench into everything. And once they gave the ball back, they, I don't think they got it back until they kneel it down to go to the, to, to the halftime whistle. So I think that's, uh, those long drives were killer. Um, Penn State's back seven really, you know, was kind of in and out of it. It wasn't great. They played a lot of guys in the set or excuse me, in the, uh, in the first half and really kind of paid for it. Yeah, a long drive to close out that that first half, and and I think that's why you you could feel the anxiety and you could hear the anxiety in Beaver Stadium when Penn State was heading into the locker room. Uh, going back to that play disparity that you mentioned from the first half, Sean, I have it in front of me: forty six plays for Buffalo, resulting in two hundred and seventy yards. Penn State twenty plays for eighty two yards. Um, and and look, it felt like Buffalo was was running like in retrospect they had twenty nine carries for eighty six yards. Like you said, it wasn't like they were gashing Penn State. But they were just doing enough to, to put Myers in a situation where he didn't have to go out. I mean, he, he had the third and 18 on that screen, but it wasn't like he was facing, uh, you know, circumstances where uh, you're throwing him to the wolves. They were in manageable settings. And, and Penn State, it felt like they were constantly in third and long situations because their ground game, 12 carries, 23 yards in that first half. Uh, certainly not what you're looking for. And that was a theme throughout the game. I think a lot of people came away scratching their heads, myself included, on, on how they were unable with the talented backfield they have. And, and and with the offensive front, the advantages you think you'd have there, um, just really unable to burst anything of note aside from that Sean Clifford run for 58 yards that, that set up the Noah Kane touchdown uh, there in the third quarter. Yeah, Journey Brown almost broke one, but that's that's pretty much it. A, a lot of your big plays came from, uh, you know, Fryermuth and and Dotson was really good, and Hamler had a couple of plays. So, I mean, you you really kind of, I mean, you still have to work on that. Uh, I, I guess that run game, but but again offensive line really wasn't as bad as you think it was either and going back to look for it they did a, a, actually a really good job protecting Sean Clifford Clifford's decision making and pocket presence are going to continue to evolve right now they're they're not all that great so we're going to see where that turns in the next couple of weeks but the offensive line obviously some some work to be done in some spots but was fine um it was more about just Penn State didn't have a chance to score they you know they weren't staying on the field long enough and and extending those drives and, and giving themselves a chance to get it in there it takes some time to obviously get a feel for for working with a running back and and, and get, engaging your reads in live time and, and real college speed. And Sean Clifford on Tuesday morning said that's probably he didn't necessarily call it a surprise. He said that Trace McSorley prepared him so well and he prepared himself so well that that he's not encountering a bunch of surprises. But one thing that has stood out against Idaho and Buffalo even is just the speed. It, it's something that you can't replicate even with the best defense in the country that they think they have across the field on the practice field when it's it's live football. It's just different. And Sean Clifford's going to have to catch up with that. We've seen him in game one and game two. There were opportunities there where maybe they could have bust loose. I mean, Ricky Slade in game one seemed like he was going to walk into the end zone. Uh, and, you know, and there, there were times where Sean seemed a little too inclined to take the ball off. And yeah, he has a lot of confidence in his rushing ability. We've seen why so far early this season. But I think the decision making as a passer has been excellent so far. But he's admitted he's had some happy feet. And that's going to come. And that's, again, Again, that's why you kind of setting yourself up. You want to see game by game by game. Sean Clifford takes step forward, and and you know I, I think it was probably 
beneficial long-term for Sean to, to have some retrospection at halftime with this offense. And, and then moving forward, he says he's gathered a lot from the game tape here. That's a big thing, being able to assess your own game film, something that Sean Clifford didn't really uh, have the ability to do except for time and mop-up duty last year. So a guy who really prides himself on being a film room buff that that's big for him to be able to critique himself. And, and he's a guy who's not really comfortable patting himself on the back. I think he, it's more in his wheelhouse when he can tell you what he needs to fix. I'll tap the brakes on the excellent uh, selection because I think he's he's taken one or two reads and then you know sort of moving around. I think the defensive line and camp kind of got his internal clock a little shorted. So um, we'll see how that develops in the next couple of weeks as as he continues to go through. And that's why you're missing guys like Justin Shorter. Shorter only had two or three targets the other night. So um, I don't think he's getting through his progressions far enough to 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 work his way to Shorter. Of course, when they're when they're running their Typical uh, eleven personnel. They've got Hamler and Dotson on the, uh, uh, you know, on one of the sides, and then Shorter on the other side. So I think he's looking more for his safety valves in Hamler and Dotson than than going to Justin Shorter. You bring up a good uh, point with the the eternal clock. I mean, I, and I read that in in what you wrote up uh, on the second look, and and you're right. We kind of wondered every time we were there. We kept telling our listeners, man, Sean Clifford and Will Levis, they're, they're getting the treatment out there. This offensive line's getting uh, batted around by this defensive front. And yeah, you wonder if a month of that does kind of say, I got to get this ball out. I got to make a decision now instead of kind of trusting the flow of your game, trusting the offensive line. And uh, But again, I think part of it is just having that feel. And I think for a guy who has now only started two games at the college level, um, I think I, I think you have to be more pleased with the positives from Sean Clifford through two games than you are about concerns about uh, you know the, the other things that that can be improved. I, I think ultimately that outweighs. You should be feeling pretty confident in Sean Clifford as this team's starting quarterback right now. Bigger tests arrive, uh, await, and he's going to have to rise up in, in different capacities. But through two games, I, I think he probably is a a bit further along than I thought he might even be. And 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 I know that that that. People probably can't see that, but I thought there would be some issues and I thought there would be maybe some turnovers. Um, I think that just stands out to me. He's done a really nice job protecting the ball, and that, that's half the battle with the guy who's just getting used to being your starting quarterback. That zero in the in the turnover column is, is the biggest thing, and I think that you hit it on the head there as you got to the end, the end of your point. Um, just if he's protecting the football, if he's, you know, that's, you know, it's one thing we're going to talk about third downs and everything like that. And, and obviously they need to get better at third downs, but if he's protecting the football, that's a big step because you don't have these, these, uh, these splash plays on the other side of the ball, like John Reed's pick six. And we're going to get into the second half right now. John Reed's uh, much as KJ's, uh, drop changed a lot of things on the first half. John Reed's pick six just changed everything for Penn State. All of a sudden, you've got a lead. You got confidence. You got the uh, crowd back into it. You know, it's one of those things that we've grown used to seeing over the last couple of years with this team is they get one play and they start stacking plays on top of it. Went right back to Pat Fryermuth down the seam. Really good play. Uh, we talk about Sean Clifford's uh, decision making. Pulled the ball in from Noah Kane, uh, froze the froze the safety. The linebackers bit on the run, and all of a sudden he's just playing pitch and catch with Pat Fryermuth, and that's a you know, that's a deal I'm think I'm sure he'd like to have. So um, just stacking these big plays one on top of each other, I think just can can mean the entire difference to this offense. And then as they continue to to, to flesh out these drives and, and and go, they went to Pat Fryermuth early in first and second down. I believe three times they went to him on first down on the first play of the drive, and they scored on all. Three of those drives, um, so I think that finding that uh, Fryermuth or Hamler or whomever it may be 
to get six or seven yards. And, and I think this is where Shorter can come into play here as well, um, to get six or seven yards on first down to set you up ahead of down and distance. And then that can go a long way in, in really just transitioning this offense from one that's going to rely on the big play to one that is going to get where it needs to go to get to the big play. Really like the aggressiveness coming off of that pick six and the ensuing punt to, to really try to put that pressure on Buffalo because you knew Buffalo kind of maybe felt like they were playing with house money coming out at halftime. And again, this is where that talent disparity shows off. Uh, Penn State, you give them enough plays. There's just too much athletic mismatches, the talent gap there. Uh, there's a reason, you know, quite frankly, why certain players come out of high school with 30 scholarship offers and other guys are, you know, looking at two or three max schools. And, and oftentimes there's diamonds in the rough, but plenty of times, you know, roster top to bottom, Penn State's going to have a big advantage in this matchup as not quite as they did against Idaho, but they sh- there should be similar situations probably against Pitt as well. And, and I think whereas Buffalo needed to kind of, you know, work the edges and, and, and have these 12 play drives and execute things perfectly, Penn State can get away with some sloppiness because at the end of the day, talent's going to win out in the college football level. Now, that may not be the case when you get into the meat of this schedule and, and, and they're not going to be able to have that kind of margin for error. But it just goes to show you, you know, we spent a lot of time here and, and on Saturday evening pointing out some of the deficiencies for Penn State, uh, things that you'd like to see corrected. Um, and yet we are talking about a 32-point victory. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the things on the defensive side of the ball are correctable. You're talking about alignment issues for for the safeties. You're talking about you know guys going motion and passing off like that touchdown that Buffalo had. There was obviously something you know, and I don't know the coverage, but obviously something happened between uh, what was it, Garrett Taylor, Jan Johnson, and Micah Parsons, and all of a sudden the tight ends running free in the corner of the end zone. So these are things that you know are are more of a pre-snap thing that can can help them get to where they need to go, to where they can use that speed and to where they can, you know, be be the defense that I think we both believe that they can be. So um, I, I think after watching it, I think there's a lot more um, positives to draw away than we initially saw in the game. Uh, big plays were there in the second half. They weren't there in the first half. Three in the first half, 15 yards or more. Eight in the second half, 15 yards or more. Played a bunch of guys on on defense, not so much on offense. And uh, yeah, like uh, going back to my last point, I think the offensive line was probably not as bad as people thought it was. So um, positives to take away from that game. Of course, you've got Pitt coming to town next weekend. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to talk about recruiting who was in town this weekend, who could be, uh, excuse me, who will be coming to town. But we're going to take a little bit of, a bit of a break first. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
All right, we're going to turn our attention to Nittany Lions recruiting right now. And whenever there's a game day, it is an opportunity. If you didn't get your fill of Buffalo-related game notes and, and all that recap, definitely suggest for our VIP members to check out Sean's second look uh, piece that he posted uh, off the film review. And also head back on to our Saturday night podcast uh, where we spent about a half hour or so focused entirely in on Penn State versus Buffalo. So have that as a resource too. But Sean, um, a couple big names were, were in town, a few big names, uh, but but probably the biggest one that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, Theo Johnson, top player from the from the nation of Canada in the 2020 recruiting class, one of the premier tight ends in this class as well. Uh, back on campus to see his brother, who, who had had himself a nice little game as well for Buffalo. Uh, but but let's face it, this was a big recruiting opportunity for Penn State. He was out there giving James Franklin a hug at midfield before the game, and we I know some people are wondering, oh, is he just going as a Buffalo supporter or a supporter of his brother? That was part of it, but yeah, he was a Penn State recruit as well. He sat for most of the game. I don't know if it was all the game. I can't really say that, but most of the game was in the first row of the recruit section uh, right behind the Penn State bench. Uh, I think he had some communication with some of the Penn State players during the game. They were up yelling to him, and then he really liked what he saw from Pat Fryermuth, and who wouldn't as a tight end? Penn State obviously got the ball to uh, to Pat as, many, as much as they could. I don't think it was because Theo was there, but I'm sure it didn't hurt either. So um, Penn State still heavily, heavily involved in this one. He's got a bunch of visits coming up before his decision, which is probably late October, probably probably early November now since he wants to add another visit to Michigan there at the end of, uh, of October. But he's going to be back for the whiteout. He's going to see Penn State play three times. He's going to see them, I think, play at, uh, at Iowa as well. Um, for an unofficial visit there, he's going to visit Miami. George is going to get a visit in a couple of weeks. So he's still, uh, these official visits will be really important, but I think Penn State has done a really nice job positioning itself for, for Theo Johnson. I think that they've got, you know, probably if you're, if you're handicapping things right now, I think they've probably got the best shot at it. I think Georgia can really impress him. I think Iowa is a school that obviously their production at tight end has been something that's been appealing to him but you know as the way as the way goes Penn State has the best relationships uh, he has the best relationships with the coaches he feels very comfortable uh, when he's on campus and he's going to get back on campus once again so I like where Penn State stands it's too too early to say that that that's a lock but I still have my crystal ball on Penn State I still feel you know fairly good about it if Penn State is not the pick, it's not because the program didn't do enough of showing him around campus and, and and trying to highlight everything they could because he has been around a lot, and it's very clear they've made a strong impression on him. But now other teams will get their turn as well. Before we move on, though, Sean, another tight end note, Darnell Washington, uh, for our VIP members, saw this. He's planning to visit uh, to Penn State as well. We'll see if that comes through. But he's a Las Vegas standout, guy who's close with Micah Bowens, Penn State's quarterback commit, and he's a five-star player. Just a tr- he's one of those freak athletes, um, and I certainly don't think Penn State's in the driver's seat there, but it's another name to know. Um, at wide receiver, a name that, that was in Penn State's cl- class for a while in the 2021 class as the, as the foundational commitment of that group. He backed off his commitment uh, this summer, uh, but uh, Dante Thornton was were back in Beaver Stadium for the first time since reopening his recruitment. I know there's always a little bit of ice to thaw in these kind of situations, but considering his age, he decommitted before his junior year of high school. A long way to go until December 2020 when, when is his first opportunity to sign. And uh, hey, I, I think this was a nice development for Penn State uh, and probably felt good for him too, kind of getting back uh, and, and just being a, a recruit instead of the, a decommit who maybe has to deal with the repercussions uh, you know, from people around him or, or trying to figure out how do I kind of get back and mend some fences. 
I think it's pretty easy when you're that young and when you have the kind of options that Dante Thornton has. Well, and I also think that it it's one of those things where he, he can talk to the staff now more. You know, he can dictate a little bit more of his contact after September 1st. Um, the, the staff can call him. They can get back to regular communication. Not that they weren't doing that, but it's just a little bit different after September 1st. He can start to feel that love again, which is something that when we see these, and I'm not I'm not singling out Thornton here, but when we see these guys make early commitments and then back off, you know, some of them stop feeling the love because it's very different being a committed prospect and being an uncommitted prospect. So um, getting getting him back on campus, I think, is a good step forward. As we've mentioned before, um, the Penn State staff has prior ties and a good relationship with his family. His uncle is kind of the guy that's uh, you know moving, uh, uh, I guess, moving the gears behind the scenes here. So. They, they, they know him pretty well. Everybody knows Fats, uh, Fats Gray pretty well. So, um, but uh, it's 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 probably too early. I think he's 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 pretty well open right now. I think the positive to take out of this, the places that he visited in the off season, Oregon, which of course uh, started the season with a loss, but you know rebounded pretty well against Nevada, Tennessee, who, Ugh. ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, yeah, I know, right, uh, and West Virginia, who's who's going to be in for a long season as well. So um, Penn State, if they can show him that they can throw the ball around, if they can show him how they would utilize him, I think can get right back into this. I think Oregon's probably uh, the top uh, competition right now, but other schools have offered uh, since. Uh, I guess while he was committed to Penn State, other schools have offered. So we're going to keep an eye on that. He's having a really good junior season, and he should. He's top five receiver prospect in the country. Really, really good player. But Penn State's got to you know reestablish that love, get him back on campus as much as possible, and see where it goes. Maybe uh, three or four months from now. Staying at the wide receiver position and staying with the 2021 recruiting class, Liam Clifford returned to Beaver Stadium. Sean, you had a story up last week. Uh, some thoughts. Uh, on his big brother, Sean, debuting as a starting quarterback and certainly now on his recruitment. Penn State offered this summer uh, well-deserved from what we saw on the camp scene. He's a kid who's go- uh, looked at as a top playmaker, the same school that Sean Clifford led to a state championship, St. Xavier in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, all the pieces are in place here for Penn State right now. And, and this is a guy that, again, he came to camp and he earned it. This was not a thing where he had Clifford on the back of his shirt and they said, Ah, well, let's give it a shot. He was out there. He balled out. And, and that was probably the best wide receiver group we saw. I can't remember when that was. I think it was late June. But but there were about five or six uh, future Power 5 receivers at least. And, and he stood out among that group. Well, that was the Norval Black camp where he came right. in and earned the offer and committed right away. Malik Mega was there. Uh, Christian Fitzpatrick was there, and that's where he kind of fell off the face of the earth in terms of Penn State recruiting. Um, but Liam Clifford was was right there with him, and I think Clifford may have even had a better day than Malik Mega. So um, uh, just not to rehash that, but you got to like where you're at with Penn State. I mean, it, it, obviously, you know, Penn State uh, has a good relationship with not only Liam and Sean, but also his parents. His parents uh, came up for the uh, the first two games. It's not an easy trip to make, but they're they're trusting of what of the way that Sean's been treated so far, and I think that that has rubbed off onto Liam. Um, I do think Penn State's in a in a very good spot here. I also think Penn State's in a really good spot uh, with Nate Bruce, the offensive lineman from Harrisburg. I just think uh, I think Brian Doan wrote this week that it's probably just a matter of time for for Nate Bruce and Penn State, and I think that makes a ton of sense. So a couple of 2021s that uh, you know really just kind of. Uh, it just makes sense for them to for for them to end up in Penn State's class of 2021. Uh, beyond that, a couple of commits were in town this weekend. Amin Vanover, 
big boy, man. We have him listed as a defensive end. I'm not sure he's not a defensive tackle at the next level. Uh, he's a legit 6'4", maybe just a little bit uh, bigger than that. 260, he's got these big long arms. So I'm really curious to see um, where he uh, continues to develop. Of course, Penn State pulled Smith Vilbert out of St. Joe's Montvale, where Vanover is from last uh, last recruiting cycle. He's gotten to campus and looks pretty good. So curious to see what Amin, Amin Vanover looks like in, in a year from now. Yeah, and, and really quickly, going back to Liam Clifford, Sean Clifford committed before his junior year, right? So that means Liam has, has kind of seen James Franklin and Ricky Ronnie and, and this staff around since he was in sixth or seventh grade. So a unique situation there. Um, I'm with you on Amin Vanover. And by the way, I mean, he kind of could blend in with that defensive line group they just brought in, a bunch of guys where you say, hey, have fun with this, Sean Spencer, because you've got a lot of clay to work with. Another guy there that, that kind of falls into that category. Now, Pitt game is a noon game, which is always, you know, anyone who's playing on a Saturday, you're not going to have a shot to get to campus like you would if it was a night game. I, I think the Penn State coaching staff, I believe Franklin said this Tuesday, uh, recruiting standpoint, you, you want to load it up with 3.30 and 7.30 kickoffs as much as you can. Uh, but this is going to draw a crowd. And, and as you note here, uh, should be a be- better visitor list in terms of quality top to bottom uh, than what we saw on Saturday evening uh, when Buffalo rolled in yeah the thing that you know when i started doing this we really didn't have to deal with uh with saturday morning film and uh saturday morning lists and things like that so that's kind of cut down on on visitor lists especially for noon games uh, being where penn state's at it's obviously not the easiest place to get to even if you're coming from pittsburgh or philly still got to give yourself time to get up here and things like that so um it's 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 going to be a good visitor list. I don't know if it's as impressive as you would think, given it's a Penn State pit game, uh, but that noon kick really does some some things to the visitor list. Speaking of Philly, uh, a bunch of guys coming up. Imhotep Charter sending a five-star 2021 and I White. Uh, Javon McIntyre, Shafiq Smith, they got a really good defensive backfield there at Imhotep. Uh, Newman Gretis, Tysheem Johnson, and Anthony Johnson coming up. I believe Tyler wrote about uh, some of these guys yesterday. But to get those Philly guys up, to, to get the in-state wheels sort of turning in that 2021 class, which has already lost Kyle McCord to uh, uh, Ohio me, State. Um, or, Oh yeah, already lost Kyle McCord to Ohio State. Probably going to lose uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. to Ohio State. You got to get those wheels turning in the class of 2021 in state, and they've had an opportunity to do that with a, with a bunch of really good players uh, this weekend. And Jeremiah Trotter, another top player out of Philly, son of a former Eagle, he committed to Clemson last weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, curious saw- that Penn State didn't offer there, which is is interesting. He's a good player. I, yeah, the game tape looked good. Penn State saw him in camp uh, the year before last, I believe. Um, but they just decided not to offer for whatever reason. But uh, Jeremiah Trotter's kid's going to Clemson, and I think he's a heck of a player. The activeness in, in Philly for Penn State in the 2021 recruiting trail so far is kind of indicative of the approach to the whole class. I mean, they've already, I believe, uh, blown by the, the offer totals they extended in 2019 and in 2020. We know that one of their signees out of Pennsylvania, Daquan Hardy, last signing day, didn't have an offer until you know 24 hours before signing day. So, a lot of groundwork has been laid in the 2021 class. Three players out of the top 20, uh, when you look at the early 24-7 sports state rankings, have committed. None to Penn State as of yet, but uh, there's a lot of names out there, and, and one that's on top of those rankings, and it's a familiar one for Nittany Lions fans, Nolan Rucci. Yeah, that big fish, and you know he's probably the biggest opportunity, that big fish in the Pennsylvania class of 2021, Nolan Rucci. I believe, I'm not sure where he lands on the composite list. I didn't check his profile before I we went on the air I think he may here. be number one, Sean. 
No, in terms of five star, four oh, star, gotcha. all that kind of stuff. I know he was a five star, but I'm not sure since the rivals rankings got added. But regardless, it doesn't matter. Um, Nolan Rucci, this is a guy that I mean, obviously he's got the ties to Penn State. His father Todd was an offensive lineman for the Nittany Lions in the uh, late '80s, early '90s. Um, so you want to get this kid on campus as much as you can. They've done a nice job of doing that so far. His older brother Hayden's at Wisconsin. Penn State did not offer Hayden, but I don't see that as a deterrent for Nolan. I think Penn State uh, has done a good job of establishing themselves. And, I mean, that 2021 class, they want to get uh, Nolan Rucci. They want to get Landon Tangwall. They want to build up that offensive line once again. And and I think Rucci is going to be a linchpin if you're talking about building this class and separating this class from, um, you know, what it could be versus what it uh, eventually will be. Nolan Rucci is going to go a long way in a measuring stick as a measuring stick for that class and getting him back on to campus for a game like this, a game that his father used to play in. You know, that, that, that I think that's something that uh, – it really can can go a long way in in putting in setting an impression. He's not anywhere close to making a decision, but get another impression on him. Um, you know, get that atmosphere into his head and get that uh, sort of Penn State buzz going again. Yeah, there are legacy prospects that you like, um, and sometimes you offer them because you feel like you need to. And then there are legacy prospects that you feel like you got to have, and this is one of them. I, I went over to his 24-7 sports profile page, Sean. Uh, number four offensive tackle in the composite nationally, 19th overall, and number one in Pennsylvania. He is a five-star composite prospect, standing six foot eight and nearly 270 pounds as a high school junior. So a lot of numbers there to like. Yes, no doubt about it. Uh, moving on, official visits, Elijah Gaines. We reported that one a couple of uh, weeks ago, I think it was. And Zariah Fisher, the uh, the edge rusher slash uh, linebacker from Aliquippa, set to be on campus. Curtis Jacobs going to be up. Maryland's making a run at him. Uh, and a couple other schools want to get him on campus for official visits. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Nick Ex- yeah, I knew I was going to mess that up. Nick Elksness, uh, which is actually not a very hard name to say, but the 2021 tight end commit will be up for the game. It's going to be his first game at Penn State. He's looking forward to it. The cows, I'm sure, are happy to see him back on campus after making such a strong impression and, and, and claiming his commitment, as we reported, as first reported by Lions 24 7, uh, with the cow factor there. Uh, Curtis Jacobs, everyone should be trying to get him on campus, and Penn State should be doing everything they can uh, to, to keep him, and not just in this class, but getting back to Beaver Stadium because he's a heck of a peer recruiter, too. He's been given an opportunity to do that sometimes at the camp scene. He's a guy who's very vocal about who he wants to see in this class. He's mentioned Theo Johnson specifically and explained why when we had a conversation um so i think he can be a catalyst but it doesn't surprise me that everybody else uh, wants a piece of this kid and i think that's going to continue all the way to that third week uh, third week of december pittsburgh is one and one they beat ohio this week they lost to virginia in week one obviously this is a team that's always been defense first under pat narduzzi kenny pickett's throwing the ball around a little bit this year um the pittsburgh pitts running game isn't what it it has been in the past they've had some really good backs that have come by uh, come through in the past couple of years but it's uh you know it's one of those things where it's it's going to be a defensive game. Penn State is uh, preparing for that secondary, which they pretty they hide, uh, excuse me, hold in pretty high regard. Um, so that's going to be a big matchup for them. And one guy in that secondary who's not going to play, John Patrician, and really surprised, kind of kind of surprising when we talked to James Franklin on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, he mentioned Penn State changed all their signals, did some different things uh, once Patrician left because they knew that he was kind of with the enemy now. Yeah, it was interesting, and it was just the timing of all this. Uh, I think it was within 
two weeks of the first game that, that Patrician came out and said he was going to be transferring to Pitt. Um, they confirmed it over there. Now, he's not going to play in, in this game based on uh, what we've seen reported out of the Pitt beat. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy that, that's going to be able to be, you know, tap into that knowledge. And, Franklin, I don't know if it was just a little bit of cat and mouse kind of situation with this with this matchup, but he mentioned the fact that, you know, they've got some people in the in the Pittsburgh Steelers facility uh, that, that, you know, their ears are open this week. And it's just, you know, it's it's more of this fun. You've got Franklin sticking with uh, we're going to go 1-0. That's all this is, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. And then you get Pat, Pat, Pat Narduzzi saying, if I don't be Penn State now, this program might not get another chance until I'm in a coffin. And and I'm paraphrasing, but he did actually say that. So fun, fun uh, to juxtapose the two approaches. But ultimately, uh, the scoreboard will tell the tale. And, and we'll get into this a lot more on Thursday, Sean. But one thing to note here, uh, unlike the first two games, a point I, I asked uh, Franklin about, I asked Antonio Shelton about this as well. They know what they're getting at quarterback this time around. They've gone up against Kenny Pickett. Uh, he's now played uh, you know, more than a full season of football. There's a lot of tape out on him. They're, they're throwing the ball more early this season uh, with a new play caller. Um, that's a different scenario than what we saw last week. As we said, Matt Myers, they pretty much you know, kept it very conservative against Buffalo. Didn't show you much about who he was. And then the week before, you knew you were going to be kind of preparing for two different quarterbacks with Idaho so uh, I think it, you know that that's something that's notable to me off the bat about this matchup is you know who the quarterback is you faced him before you really handled him well last year I think he had one completion over nine yards against Penn State in their matchup at Pittsburgh last year so uh, it was a 51 to 6 beatdown. but anyone who watched that and you and I were there on that rainy night watching from the press box uh the first half Pitt gashed them for 200 yards. It was a 7-6 to six game going into the final minute. Uh, the final score was not indicative of the entire body of work that we saw. And so you know you know, Pitt's going to come in playing tough, and we'll get into that a lot more on Thursday. But it's always a, a mildly entertaining week to see how these teams approach it. Pitt making no players available all week, Sean. And that's what they've done every week at Penn State. We're getting seven Penn State players between Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And two things, um, you said I'm paraphrasing, but he actually said that. So I just wanted to bring that one back around. Um, that was an interesting uh, turn of phrase there. Um, but yeah, you're right. This is a, a sort of a cat and mouse type thing all week long. I'm not sure what we're going to get out of it. It's the same thing every single year. Going to miss it next year when it's gone, to be honest with you. It's good for page views, um, but it really doesn't do much in the grand scheme of things. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Pitt brought in Mark Whipple as their offensive coordinator. That's probably the biggest change that you can, you can talk about from year to year um i do think they have some potential they've got some athletes especially in the secondary kenny pickett uh if he takes care of the ball can be a good quarterback don't think he's quite there yet but they've got some athletes and we're going to talk about that yeah, later so stay in the week. tuned for our second episode and again we'll bring you another post game pod on saturday when this one goes final and then penn state all of a sudden cruises into a bye week and they'll be tuning up for their big 10 matchup against the suddenly number 21 Maryland Terrapins. So we'll see how that goes. Five teams on Penn State's schedule that they've yet to play are in the AP Top 25 poll through Week 2. Four of those games, starting with Maryland, on the road. So we got a long way to learn about this Penn State squad, but for now, 2-0. You've heard our thoughts on the Buffalo game. We'll dive in deeper on Pitt on Thursday. For now, Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue stepping away. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.